that I had uh, planned on. And that's coming from first, or coming from Romans 1.27. Uh, let me think. I think, um, I don't know if Vicki gave those things out. Did you give it? Okay. Do you have, I think there's more in my bag. I put, some, I put some in a bulletin. Do you have it? But, you know, I figured, oh, good, I, I put the, the little essay I have there in the bulletin, but the only thing is, I think you're already in here, so it's in the bulletins that nobody's looking at. So, anyway, we're going to look here at First Thessalonians. And what I have to do here today is is um, take the Bible and keep it a distance from me because these glasses I wear and are not really my reading glasses. You know, I can't keep glasses. I don't know what it is. I'll either sit on them, step on them, or they fall out of my pocket. And I must, in a year, I must go through about five or six glasses. So my reading glasses that I could actually set up here and see, I don't have them. These are more of my distant glasses, but I can still do it. So we're looking here into Romans 1, and today we're looking into verse number 27. Now, I've been, you know, as you, if you can remember, we've been doing Romans, just taking one verse and going through, you know, going through 27 verses thus far. And so if you look in verse number 27, Romans chapter 1, verse 27, here's what I'd like to speak on today. Likewise, also, the men, leaving the natural use of women... Burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Our Father, we ask now that you will guide and direct us as we look into Holy Scripture. We realize we're not reading the newspaper, I'm not looking at a magazine. We are reading the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. So, Father, we ask that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we can make an accurate understanding of it, and then be able to relay it, accurately comment on it. Ultimately, for the glory of the Lord Jesus, for the saving of souls, for the edifying of believers, and for the blessing of this church. Now, guide us to that end, O Lord. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so as we look at this text in verse 27, uh, I bring to your attention, first of all, it's mostly about this. Look at this phrase. And likewise also the men. So that's what we're talking about in general, men, as we read through this. And what is it? what about the men? It tells you here that they left the natural use of women. I mean, what a statement this is. This is a strong statement of, of, of craziness that goes on in the world. And in this particular view, it's talking about the men that they left the natural use of... of now, what does that mean? It means that the men left the natural use of women sexually. This is a statement on sex. People say, well, Christians are afraid of sex or don't talk. Well, the Bible speaks about sex many different ways. And ultimately, that's what the heart and soul of this message right here. And it goes on to say, and they burned in their lust one toward another. Now, notice the language here, the language of burned in their lust. And then it goes on to say, men with men. So we're not just talking about sex. We're talking about homosexuality, homosexual sex. 
And so scripture has a lot to say about this. And you know, it's really quite timing because, you know, this is all the rage in our culture today. The, the, you know, the homosexual, oh, I'm just different, that's all. And yet the word of God says, tells us in Leviticus 18.22 that homosexuality is an abomination. <laughs> and so not to be fooled by our culture, uh, which now is trying to promote it and trying to make it seem as if it's natural, but it's not natural. It, it's a terrible, horrible sin all sin is, but this is one in, in the area of sexuality, and that is homosexuality. But common sense would tell you, or instinct, you know, you just, just simply use your own instinct, and you look at the design of a man and a woman, you look at the biological structure, obviously, there's something wrong with homosexuality. That was not God's design. And so we see it very much in Scripture, we see it oft, quite often in our own culture, and so we know that in, as we look at the Word of God, homosexuality is, and we can give it many synonyms or many words of description, perversion, deviance, abnormality, depravity, degeneracy, debauchery, corruption, vice, wickedness, immorality. See, what else could we think of to make it clear of what actually homosexuality is? And I make a stress on this because our culture excuses it and in some cases actually lifts it up. And you will know this, I'll get into this a bit later, but when a culture accepts homosexuality as a natural lifestyle, that culture is on its way down and almost to its extinction, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Because as we compare this to God's design, what is God's design? And we look in Scripture. One man, one woman, living together, and of course through them, children are produced. We find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. You notice that scripture, it's not about Adam and Steve. It's about Adam and Eve, a man and a woman coming together, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman, but a man coming together with a woman. Sex, we know, as being Christians and studying God's word, we know that sex is good and right within the bounds of marriage, and that is God's plan. And I'm sure many of you know this, nothing is greater than to be happily married with a spouse and, and uh, doing many things together, but sex is one of them. Join sex together with your husband, with your wife. That is God's design. And it's a good thing, as long as we follow his plan with it. But when we violate God's plan, in as many ways that could be violated, it always brings consequences. Such as, it creates tension between the man, between man and God. It creates tension between husband and wife, or man and woman. Uh, it creates abuses in the body. It promotes disease. It gives uh, rise to guilt. And it confuses the marriage experience. That, those are the things that homosexuality will do, as, um, as we're seeing and even in our own culture. But let's look for a moment at the history of this confusion and this whole thing we call homosexuality. What does God's word tell us? In the garden, we see in the garden, speaking about Adam and Eve, 
Eve took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband and with her and he did eat. So we have the picture here and you all know the, the, the environment is perfect environment, God, God's creation. And did you ever think about this just to get off for just a minute? What this world would have been like if sin had not come in to destroy everything. You think of God's grand creation and what that, to everything, the best we have, it's tainted with sin. It's the very best. But think of what it was like when creation was first made and sin was not there. And all you can do is just use your own imagination. But we do find here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, giving a comment, it's a commentary on Genesis 3, 6. Romans 5, 12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed unto all men, for that all have sinned. So this is why we have funerals, this is why, this is why we're all going to die. Sin comes into the world. But before sin came into the world, there was no death. It was a, we don't know what a beautiful thing this must have been, but here Romans 5.12 is telling us, sin came into all this wonderful creation of God, and wrecked it, or at least caused a major problem. And then we find because of the influence of sin, we, we, we notice as we look at the life of Adam and Eve, we know that Eve was deceived, with, was deceived in the garden, and uh, we know that she ate the fruit. When, then she gave the fruit to her husband, Adam, and what, what occurred there? When he ate the fruit, but there's two things going on here. When, when Eve eats the fruit, she thinks she's doing no good. This good, good be an apple or whatever it is. Oh, this looks good. I think I'll bite into this. Okay? But when she gives that fruit to Adam, he knows he shouldn't be eating it. God told him not to eat that. And so when he bites into that thing, that's when sin came into the world. Everything was good until that time. Adam bites into that apple or the banana or whatever, whatever piece of fruit it was. And then we find that sin comes into the world. And as a result of that, we then have the truth of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. And that is why we deal with death today. That's why you will die, I will die. We deal with death because sin came into the world and interrupt, greatly interrupted God's perfect creation. Personally, and also, that's why you find you have chaos in the world, uh, as you look, pick up the newspaper, as you are reading or looking at a news, for, uh, news on, on your computer or TV. I don't watch it on the TV anymore, but I look at it at the computer all the time, quite often. But this is why we have wars and divorce and disease and man's inhumanity to man. And our creation is in chaos most of the time. Why is that? Sin, little word. And as you look in the Bible and New Testament, it's the word harmoton, of course, it's that little three-letter word that we call sin. As we look further into this text, let's move on a little further, and we see the phrase, working that which is unseemly. And what is that word, unseemly? We don't use that often, but it comes from the word arxene, from the Greek language, arxene, and it means to be indecent or shame. And here we're using, God's using the word unseemly. You will also, by the way, find that word unseemly in Revelation 15, 16. And there, uh, arxene is, is translated as shame. But here, 
we see it's, they use the word unseemly. And here's the problem. Here's the issue. When homosexuality is accepted as a legitimate lifestyle, that culture declines to the point of extinction. And I'm going to give you some proof of this. When homosexuality, oh, you say, oh, you have sex? I have sex with a woman, but if you want to have sex with a man, go ahead. That's all right. Yeah, go ahead. Whatever. You know, whatever you want to do. And when the culture's there, it's on its way down. Now, I know, I've noticed this. I'm, I'm sure you have. Most people who are observant notice that America is on its way down. I think we're in very serious straits, quite honestly. Now, I am, how, how, how old am I? Getting so old, I forget how old I am. I'm 78, and I, you know, was active you know, during the years of the Vietnam War and, and you know, and all the, you wondered there, was America going to get through the Vietnam War? But today's situation is much worse. I mean, we are. I think we're in very serious trouble as a nation, but I don't want to elaborate too long on this, but, but these are the things that we're having to deal with, and we see that word there. They were working that which is unseemly. What is that? Because of homosexuality. And when that, as I say, when that becomes common or accepted, then your culture is going to disappear. Let me give you some his, historical examples of this where homosexuality took over. And I have several empires here. The Inca Empire of South America, it collapsed in 1572. That was a great... Did you ever study these things in the World Book or on the Internet? And you study them. I encourage you to, to look at the Inca Empire. I mean, they were advanced and conquering enemies and doing great things. The Persian Empire, which was founded by Cyrus the Great, around 550 B.C. And I'm sure some of you have read and read in some of your magazines about the great Persian Empire. And they were, wherever they go to war, man, they were victorious. And they were harsh on their, on their enemies. The Greek Empire, which flourished in 800 B.C. to its subjection to the Roman Empire in 146 B.C. So all those years... From 500 B.C. to 146 B.C., you had the great Greek empire, and hey, our Bible, product of that great Greek empire. You have, of course, you know, our, our New Testament uh, is, comes from the Greek, from the Greek, and, it's, and just, just a little side note here, the Greek that you have in the New Testament that we're reading from, it's Koine Greek, there's different kinds of Greek. And the Bible uses the word, or the kind of Greek, which is what's called Koine Greek. And that means it's like street language. Hey, man, how you doing? It's just a lower, not classical Greek, but a lower kind of Greek, the kind of Greek that the average man spoke. And so, but that Greek, great Greek empire, as I say, that flourished from, from um, 800 B.C. until 146 B.C. And... What happened to it? The same thing happened to all these previous empires, which I have mentioned. They disappeared. Take the, the, the uh, Arab Empire, the Caliphate. Why, that was in power from 750 A.D. to 1258 A.D. And they were, those Arabs, they were all the rage. And they were conquering enemy after enemy after enemy and spreading their ideas and their philosophy. But something brought it to a sudden end. 
the Mongol Empire from 1206 A.D. to 1368 A.D., a great thriving empire, and yet it suddenly disappeared. Now, what is common in all these empires? So you, you can't get your history books and read the historians. Here's what you find. And the commonality of those empires, number one, they all disappeared suddenly in terms of being a dominating force. They, you know, they ruled their area for decades, but then something, some, something happened and they became subservient to other nations. Secondly, we know that they became a caricature of themselves, as you, again, as you begin to study them in terms of history. And the third thing we observe is this. They embraced, every one of them embraced homosexuality as a legitimate or alternative lifestyle. They all did this. And when they did this, and when this becomes your norm, when this becomes the accepted way of life, that empire is gone. And we can see that written in God's word and very history as I've just pointed out, will verify these things. Unrestrained homosexuality leads to the death of a culture. Now, while we're on the subject, I want to just change the subject, not for two minutes, but there's something that I should add into this. But I don't want to get off track. I want to talk with you just a minute or two about the cousin of homosexuality. You know that there is a perversion percolating within our culture. A new, I should say, a new perversion, shall we say. And that's the cousin to homosexuality, and that is the transgender creature. And here you have someone who's born a male, and through surgery will attempt to transfer that person into a female, and vice versa. You get the female. And this is much more prevalent than you would think. They turn the female into a male. And I think I've seen some of them. And when you, you'll see them, there's something not right. <laughs> That's about the only thing you can say. If I, you see a man, but you're not sure, is that really, what, what, what is that? Because he's sort of like feminine, but he's a man. Or you'll find if, you know, if you've seen the female where, I wouldn't want to get near that. <laughs> it's a female, but I'm not sure what it is. It's, come, it doesn't, it's not going to work out well. And this is the things that we're struggling with today. And here's the problem. Why is this dangerous? Because there's a God in heaven looking down on these things. And he's a God who will deal with these things because, he is, because we are sinners by choice and by nature, yet he is perfectly holy and bound to deal with it in his time. And these things will occur. Think of Noah's flood. If you wonder about how God's judgment, how long does he cover, how long does he permit sin to go on? Well, just read Genesis chapter 6 about Noah and the worldwide flood. Why was the worldwide? The world flooded (laughs) because you had craziness like this going on and it becomes the norm. And God ended it, as you all know, by a great worldwide flood. The nature of sin is that it's faithful. You know, we talk about being faithful, being faithful to the Lord, being faithful to living for the Lord Jesus, but you know, sin is very faithful. Sin always pays dividends. When you, when I am am engaged in sin, that will come back sooner or later 
to haunt you, to bring misery into your life. People think they can sin and get away with it. You can't. Now, you may get away with it on the short term, but eventually it catches up to you. It will. It's a faithful, shall we say, master. And that is what homosexuality does to the individual, but also to the culture in where it is found. It always pays its dividends. And hence we have here, just look at our text. Speaking about this issue, what do we find here? I'm looking here at four words. And receiving in themselves. You see that phrase there in your Bible? And, and these homosexuals are receiving in themselves. What does that little phrase mean? It means the same thing that you may find in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. You reap what you sow. And that's what, that's what this is going to bring not only to the homosexual himself, but also to the culture in which it is permitted. You're going to find very heavy and high consequences, and it occurs to me as I'm sharing this. Your sin and my sin may not be homosexuality, but whatever your sin is, you need to deal with it, like the homosexual needs to deal with his. In other words, I'm not saying homosexuality is over there and I'm over here superior. No, I've got my own issues that I need to deal with, and sin is sin. You know, sin is deadly, whether it be homosexuality or just lust or thievery or whatever, whatever you're dealing with. Sin brings with it misery, confusion, broken marriages, poverty, wars, disease. And what is it that we receive from sin? What, do we, what does this text tell us that we receive from sin? And you see it, the next phrase, that recompense of their error. Of that phrase, Charles Hodge, Hodge, a well-known expositor, makes this statement. The moral degradation of the heathen was a punishment for their apostasy from God. So he's had in his commentary talking about the heathen. Now we think about the heathen in the jungle and the heathen there. And he, but their, their problem comes from their rejection of God and from their apostasy. And when a country goes into apostasy, the whole cult, it'll decline. And it goes back into heathenism. So here we have the problem that we're presenting to you. Culture cannot be sustained for long periods of time without an application of the gospel. If you have a culture and they're carrying on, now it may be homosexuality, it could be something else. But they're carrying, that culture will go down and down and down. And it needs the word of God. And that's why, of course, we send out missionaries, and that's why you, you, you know, go into any culture around the world. The more they have of the Lord, the better off they will be. And if they don't have any of it, you'll find these things break down into all kinds of various cultures. And I can just remember... A student in Bible, Bible college, we had a, his name was Sammy. I can remember this, Sammy. He was like um, uh, like uh, copper color skin and, and, and short fellow with straight black hair. And, and, and uh, I don't think it was the Aukie Indians, but one of those Indians there, they, they were just pagans. You know, he gave a testimony. We were pagans. We had adultery, fornication, murder. It was all over. And this missionary comes tramping into the culture. <laughs> and... Uh, in boldness, gently, you know, presents the gospel to them, and they receive it and listen to it, and it shows how, you know, how these people began to break away from their deadly tradition. 
and uh, how the word of God went forth and, and actually changed the culture. They were in the, according to his testimony, they were in the process of actually killing themselves off. And the Lord in his mercy sends a missionary and he has a book out. I wish I should have brought his book. It's a very amazing story how these things come to be. But we find here that without, without the word of God, these things come upon us. And I'm saying this also for another reason about our culture, today's culture. Let me just bring it up to today for just a minute. As I've said earlier, in my personal opinion, this may not be yours, but it's mine. I think our culture is falling apart very seriously. Now, the politicians will never tell you this. You sort of have to read between the lines and observe and see what's taking place. We've seen more and more our marriages are ending in divorce. We have more and more race tension in our culture. There's more distrust, distrust, distrust of government with their betrayal of American principles. You see apostasy in our churches. And by the way, that's one of the things I love about this church and the denomination. You know, this very sound doctrine that the Bible Presbyterian Church possesses and preaches. It's a beautiful thing to see. I've been in churches where you, know, you don't have this structure and you've got Strange doctrine going on out there, or it's not contended for. That's another thing, too. You know, you have to contend for the faith, because if you don't, then it'll be overrun. But that's, that's not a problem here. So we praise God. Praise God for this church. Praise God for the Bible Presbyterian denomination, because you know that where those churches are, you're getting good, sound doctrine. And that's a rare thing today. Visit many of the worst churches around here, and you're not always going to get good, sound doctrine. But we find that to be the case. Uh, but yet, generally, in the American culture, so many more of our churches are falling away from, from the sound word of God. And we have principles like Galatians 6, 7, where God says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. Now, we're talking here about the homosexual community, but I could talk to you about your life. Examine your life. Is there any unconfessed sin and un, you know, unrepented sin in your life? And sometimes we make light of it or play with it or compromise with it or whatever. And, um, you know, be careful. You've got, to, you've got to confess it before God and forsake it. Because if you don't, it's going to interfere with your thinking, especially you, because you're a Christian. You know better than a lot of people. And if you harboring little sins here, little compromises over here, those things eventually will get to you and they will rob you of your peace, joy, power for these little silly little things. So I'm not only talking about these cultures, I'm talking about this culture here, talking about this culture here. But anyway, getting back to my thought on America here, yeah, I think we're reaping right now what it is that we have sown. And finally, let me just, in that context read with you the last phrase of this verse where it says, which was meat, meaning which was deserving, which was appropriate. These powers, these pagans who were involved in homosexuality got what they deserved. And you know what it is? They don't exist anymore. <laughs> they got wiped out. But we can learn from that as well. If the, the, if the Lord's going to judge the pagan, he'll judge us as well. If we pertain... Can, as a nation, if we go on as a nation in sin, we're going to get God's judgment. A rebellious culture will receive what it is that it deserves. 
again, a, com a few comments on America, and I'm going to close because this is the perfect time to bring in America. As you're reading Scripture, two things to keep in mind. Yourself, Scripture is talking to you, but also keep principles of, of the United States of America. Why? Because it was founded on Christian principles. That was the whole purpose of it. And so that would be an appropriate application and, and, and analysis. Now, I'm thinking about a time when I played Little League Baseball. Little League, uh, you know, has the ages 8 to 12. And I got into this thing when I was 8 years old. And, and those 12 years old, boy, they look like giants to me. You know? and, and, you know, the Little League baseball field, you know, they have a fence around it. I thought, oh, I can't could you ever hit a ball that far. <laughs> That's when I'm 8 years old. Okay, so I'm, I'm through this thing. And, and so um, I'm, I'm going through the, this process and trying to, uh, to adjust and uh, to deal with the competition and all of this. We, and we had a game when I was 12 years old, I remember in particular. Now you're 12. I'm at the height of you know, my age group, and I'm going to have a good year. And on that year, it must have been 50% of those games were rained out. <laughs> you know, I, I'd wait around all day waiting to play this game, and, and here you will find around 4 o'clock, a big dark cloud would come, come along, and then another one over here would come along, and by 6 o'clock, it's pouring down rain. And I, you know, can think of the many times I was, you know, I'd get my suit on, I'm ready to go, I got the adrenaline pumping, and here comes the rain. Oh, man, <laughs> and canceled out yet again. But you know what? There are clouds of disaster coming upon America. They are assembling some clouds that are coming that are going to bring judgment upon our land, in my opinion. One, one cloud is this absolute and complete fools in position of leadership in our land. Example, think of the border absolute disaster and craziness, what's going on on the American border. There, you know, scripture talks about a blindness happened to Israel. You know, we can read about Israel's history and say, well, couldn't they see that they're, they're, they're making friendship with the enemy? And couldn't they see they're in the idol worship? But, but enemy, they were blinded. God blind, as a matter of fact, Scripture says God sent a blindness upon them. And I'm almost wondering if God's not sending a blindness on us. Because there are things in our land today that you would have to be, you have to be absolutely blind not to see. This border issue taking place here in our land, what this is about, I think behind all of this, is that our leaders, those who are to lead the United States of America according to our Constitution, are really wanting to move us over to a globalist economy. Make us all, in an attempt to make all the... Those are the things I think we need to be careful of, and we see this craziness across our land. Think about the crime in our cities. I, you know, I used to go down to Philadelphia shop or do different things. I wouldn't dare go in that city right now. We had a ministry called Operation 1423 coming from Luke 1423. Anybody know what Luke 1423 says? 
It says, go out and compel them to come in. You know, Jesus gave that great commission to the disciples. Go out and compel them. The word he uses is compel. Come out and compel them to come in that they might be saved. And so we would often go by um, the, the um, abortion clinic there in, in Center City, Philadelphia. And I'd bring a, in fact, I think I may have told you this now. I, I brought a, a megaphone with a little, little microphone to speak on. And you can sit there and preach the word of God. For God so loved the world. That would echo between the buildings. For God so loved the world. That he, and I, we had maybe 15, 20 other people with us handing out tracts. And, um, and then here comes the police. I thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Here come the cops. But you know what? The cops were there to give us the liberty to do this, that no one would stop us. And so that was an amazing thing we were able to do that. But crime in the cities today, they, they need to have the gospel preached to them because in our cities today, it's a very wicked place in which to be, and the word of God, therefore, needs to be presented. Uh, even our, look at the prosecutors today. Our prosecutors don't prosecute crime intentionally. Now, I'm not going to prosecute that. Well, this is their crime. Yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. That's, that's the state of our land. That's a sign of an empire going down, ready on the verge to crash. So as we look at this verse that we're looking into today, Romans 1, and attempting to compare it to our nation, I think we have some very serious things to consider. So what is the solution? Now, you know what the solution is. Every week, every time we preach God's word, you know what the solution is. Number one, for you, make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're dealing with your sins and getting them out of your way, repenting of them. Obviously, we need to advance and get, get the word of God out to others. So we have time, but I'm just simply saying, we, we look at this text, oh, this is awful. This is, okay, but what are we going to do about it? What's this church going to do about it? I hope. No, I don't know. Maybe, oh, I think, in fact, I know you do. I think you have, a, you have an outreach to go out in the community and invite the people to come in. Good, you need to do that because... And wouldn't it be wonderful if one day all these chairs are filled up as a result of you going out there in the highways and byways and as, we, as, as the word of God we said, compel them to come in. You know, learn how to answer people's questions. Know how to present and approach someone with the word of God and then do it and bring them in here that the souls may be saved and hear the word of God. Well, we began today with a verse of 39 words. The verse that we just looked at today, Romans 1, 27, contains 39 words. But I'm going to close today with a verse that has 25 words. And here's the greatest message I could wrap this up with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's get out there with that word and, and share it, even to the homosexual. I, I, you know, I know homosexuals who were into this thing, and somebody shared the word of God with them, and the Lord saved them. And you know, it's at that point they realize this is sin and unacceptable. And, and they have the Lord gives them the power to pull out of it. And they've gotten married and have children. These things happen, but they don't happen apart from the powerful word of God. 
And that's our hope. We're a church. What are we going to do? We're not going to talk about go out and uh, shoot people and, and, and that. No, we go out with the word of God. Here, here's our gun. Here's our weapon right here. Go out with this thing. Have this in our heart and have it in our speech and our action and make a difference in our culture. Because if the Christians don't speak out, if we don't speak out, if we don't pray, I'm hoping and praying that when, when you have your prayer meetings, the rooms like this, everybody here ready to pray, because if the Christian community doesn't do this, we're going to lose this empire, the American empire. You're going to lose this, and you're going to have, I won't go on to say what we have. It's not going to be very pretty. What I want to do, you know, of course, I'm selfish. I've lived my life. I'm, as I say, 78. But you know what? I have four kids, and I think we have 12, 12 grandchildren, right? How many grand, you know, in my, I'm looking over my wife to get validated on how many grandchildren, and she goes like this to me. You're long-winded. Sit down. <laughs> she's, a, she's really good. She's a great help to me, I'll tell you. I wouldn't, but uh, Vicki, question. How many grandchildren? Twelve? Eleven. Oh, eleven. Okay. Eleven grandkids. Anyway, four kids, eleven grandkids. Personally, what I would like them to do is have this wonderful America like this for them to experience what I've experienced. But I doubt very seriously that's going to be the case. And my own, personally, my own thinking, my only thinking is this. The health of our republic is based on you, people like yourself, and based upon the church of the Lord Jesus. That when our churches come together, it'll be full and we'll be praying and casting our care on him, knowing that he cares for us that we'll be able to live the Christian life, that when sin does get in, and you're going to sin, you're going to struggle with sin because we're sinners by nature and by choice. But, okay, so you sin and make them, you know what you want to do? Get on your knees and confess your sin. At, you know, admit it. Yes, Lord, I've done this. I've lusted after this woman. I've stole that. I've did this. I'm lazier. You know, the things that you struggle with. Confess them to the Lord. Husband and wife. You know, as you live together, you're going to offend each other from time to time, but I sure hope you learn to forgive each other. Nothing's worse. You have a husband or a wife. You're married together, and somebody's holding a grudge. You know, oh, well, you remember you did this, and you never really learn to forgive and love and draw one to another. Well, you got to do that because that's what the devil wants you to do. Hey, stand for my right. Can't do that. But the Lord would love to do that to keep you, husband and wife, apart. And you lose your power. You lose your joy. You want to come together and love one another, learning to forgive one another, serve one another. Anyway, we need that if we're going to keep our nation free. That's necessary, and it's part of the gospel, part of the church. Wouldn't the Lord love to get into this, or excuse me, wouldn't the devil like to get into this church and confuse your language, confuse your doctrine, destroy marriages and all the stuff? We We know what his tricks are. But you know how to look out for him as well. What else shall I say? Let me say, what comes into my mind? I'll just close with this. But I'm thinking Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That may speak to somebody. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Could that be more clear? <laughs> That's a good verse. Memorize that verse. Let us pray. Our Father, we want to say, I want to say thank you that we're brethren here, brothers and sisters here. What a joy this is to be able to simply share the word of God with brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
And our Father, forgive us because our fellowship with each other is so joyful. It is so fulfilling and just a wonderful experience that you tend to lose, we tend to lose focus on what else is going on out there in that harsh world. And the world is harsh. It is nasty. It's cruel. And I'd rather just sit in here and be with my brothers and sisters here and not have to face the harsh world. But I know you've sent us out to get the word of God out. You've given us that command many times over. As you have said in your word, go out and compel them to come in. So, Lord, I pray for me. I pray for the people here, the leaders here, the the congregation, that you will thank you for your mercy on us. Thank you for being so gracious to us. And guide us, Lord, in the future that we can go forward with optimism, joy, and power of the Holy Spirit, witnessing the word of God, seeing people get saved, doing the work of discipleship, encouraging one another. We call down your blessing on this church, Lord, because we know sound doctrine is given here, which we cannot count on that on many other denominations or churches. But it is done here week after week. Praise God for this. And thank you for bringing us together. And we thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen.